Now, we are seeing a multiplication of uh, coup d'etats. Some uh, military leaders feel that uh, they have total impunity, they can do whatever they want, because nothing will happen to them. That's Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations. He's talking about a string of coups that happened in Africa. He said that back in 2021. Since then, there have been even more coups in the region. Gabon, Niger, Burkina Faso, Mali, Sudan. The list keeps growing. Analysts have called it a coup contagion. Guterres called it an epidemic. And there are concerns that this could further destabilize the region. Today, I'm joined by The Globe's Africa Bureau Chief, Jeffrey York. He'll tell us why there's been so many coups in this part of Africa, what role other countries have in what's going on, and what might come next. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Jeff, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. We're going to be talking about the, the broader context in a minute. But first, I'd like to get your help just understanding some of the recent coups that we've seen. Uh, let's start with Niger. There was a coup there at the end of July. Uh, what happened? Well, the military, which had been, you know, seen as a, a major partner of the West, uh, you know, countries like Canada, United States had been training the military in Niger extensively. But at the end of July, the uh, military in Niger took power, seized power, despite, you know, a lot of denunciations from uh, regional African leaders and from West Africa, from the African Union, from uh, the West, Everyone condemned the coup, but the leaders of that coup are still in power today. And it's created uh, quite a humanitarian crisis from what I understand as well. Well, what happened was uh, the West African regional bloc, ECOWAS, imposed sanctions and closed borders in Niger after the coup. And um, that has led to a sharply rising prices for a lot of food and other staple items in Niger. Um, uh, it has certainly caused a lot of uh, economic turmoil. However, it has not seemed to put any pressure on the coup leaders so far. They remain in power. There's been also threats of military intervention by ECOWAS. But again, those threats seem to be empty. The juntas of neighboring Burkina Faso and Mali voiced their support for the coup on Monday and warned that any military intervention in Niger will be considered a declaration of war against their countries, too. Meanwhile, yet So far, there's been no uh, significant uh, sign of any uh, relenting by the coup leaders in Niger. And then, of course, a month later, at the end of August, we also saw then a coup in Gabon. Uh, can you tell me about that one? Yeah, that came right after uh, the latest election in Gabon. And I should put that in, in quotation marks. I mean, it's an election, but it really had very little credibility. Mm. The elections in, in Gabon have been re-electing the, the same family that's been in power for more than half a century. That's usually not a good sign of a, a functioning democracy, of course. Exactly. Yeah. It's just been one family in power for 50 years. The oil wealth is not trickled down. People are still poor. The vast majority are still poor. And in the last two elections this year and the last one in 2016, the elections just had no credibility. For example, the one in 2016, the province where the president is from, 
claimed to have a 99.9% turnout and 95% voting for the president. Yeah, high numbers like that are also usually a sign of not a functioning democracy. Yeah, Exactly. Now, this is what can easily be described as a palace coup. The leader of the coup is someone who is sometimes reported to be a cousin of the president. It's unclear his exact relationship with the president, but it's very clear that he was a member of the inside elite, a member of the ruling elite. It's not someone who was seen as bringing a lot of change to uh, Gabon. You know, people on the street were celebrating after the coup, but I think it was mainly, as in most of these cases, a case where people celebrate because they want change. I saw the same thing in the streets of uh, Zimbabwe in 2017 when there was a military takeover. Hmm. Uh, People were desperate for change after 37 years of rule by Robert Mugabe. People saw the economy deteriorating, getting close to collapse, hyperinflation, collapsing currency, the healthcare system on the verge of collapse, cholera outbreaks. The country was in a disastrous state, and so they were desperate for change. And so when the military took over in Zimbabwe in 2017, there was tens of thousands of people on the streets celebrating, cheering the soldiers. Not because they were pro-military, but because they wanted change. These coups fit into a, a larger trend in, in the region. Uh, if, we, if we look specifically in the past three years, there have been nine coups in seven African countries. Uh, they all have their own circumstances, of course. But, but Jeff, are there any common factors here? Well, I think uh, there's several common factors. One of them is a growing unhappiness, discontent with the economic situation. Uh, recently, over the last year or two, the uh, economies in, in many of these countries have really deteriorated for the average person because of rising food and fuel prices and things like fertilizer prices have skyrocketed because of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And there's a growing discontent and a desire for change. And what's happening is they're, they're not seeing elections as a way to bring change. So often these elections are really controlled. They're not a level playing field. They're not free and fair. Uh, there's a growing sense that democracy is not working in their countries. It's not producing actual change. Uh, the opposition doesn't have much of a chance. The uh, so-called elected uh, leaders end up abusing their power. Uh, there's human rights abuses. There's a concentration of power in a few hands. And so people have, are losing faith in elections. And mm-hmm. so they're willing to tolerate coups. Mm-hmm. The other connecting thread is that um, There's a lack of resistance. It's become sort of a permissive environment for coups. Internationally, you know, there's rhetorical criticism. Western leaders, uh, you know, decry these coups and condemn them. But there's not much of backup. Hmm. So many examples now where where military rulers have have grabbed power and uh, managed to hold on to it. Sometimes they promise some kind of vague transition to civilian rule in several years, and this is often enough to ease the pressure. Um, And the other thing is that in the past, they might have been dependent on Western support for their militaries. Now they have alternatives. They can go to Russia. We've seen um, Mali and Central African Republic doing major agreements with Russia to bring in Russian mercenaries, thousands of Russian mercenaries, as the security partner for their militaries. When it comes to the economy, they have China as a major alternative to the West. There's a lot more Chinese trade and investment. 
and uh, China has sort of a no strings attached uh, level of support for uh, African countries. They don't care if it's a military regime or not. They support whoever's in power. This is really interesting because there sounds like there's a lot there's a lot of factors here. But if I can just back up for a second, I, I wonder about who's being deposed by the coups. Jeff, are there any overlap there? Are they dictators, elected officials? What do we what do we see? Well, uh, in, in a lot of cases, they are people who. They're uh, leaders who are nominally civilian and nominally seen as democratic, but really the connecting thread is that they were the the beneficiaries of elections that were not very free and fair. So, so if you if you have in a situation where you know you don't actually see your elections as free and fair as as kind of democracy as as you maybe imagine it to play out, I guess is that maybe why you see people turning to to support the military in in, in a coup in this way because this is this the alternative of a democracy didn't actually play out the way that they were promised it would be. Exactly. And um, the polling data that we're seeing from companies like Afrobarometer, we're seeing that a rising number of Africans are unhappy with what democracy is producing, they're unhappy with uh, the elections. I think only in one poll, there was only 44% who said that elections allow people to remove unwanted leaders, uh, and 53% were willing to endorse coups um, mm. if elected leaders abuse their powers. So um, even though there is generally support for democracy, people are so frustrated uh, by the failures of these civilian leaders that they uh, accept, uh, they're often willing to accept a coup as a way to change power. And Jeff, we mentioned this a little bit, but I want to come back to the fact that that these these coups can have a, a big impact on the civilian population, right? We're seeing after many of these situations, uh, particularly in Sudan and Niger, there's there's a humanitarian crisis often for the population that follows. Uh, what does this mean for the people living there? Yeah, and I would add another example of Zimbabwe. Um, in all of mm-hmm. those countries, uh, there were military regimes that took over. And uh, they really failed to deliver the goods. And very quickly, in the next election in 2018, people tried to vote for the opposition, and the military and the police opened fire on protesters and killed a number of them in the streets. So people very quickly were disillusioned by what happened in, in, in Zimbabwe after the, after the military took over there. Same thing in Sudan. Uh, the change of power uh, in 2019 was you know, the toppling of a long-ruling dictator, Omar al-Bashir, uh, he was he was finally toppled after decades in power as a result of protests in the street. But instead of allowing the protesters to have a share of power, it was the military that took over again. And what we eventually saw was another coup in 2021 uh, to push the civilians even further out of power. And then in, what we saw this year, of course, is two different military factions having a falling out and uh, triggering this massive civil war, which has devastated the country. We've seen you know, millions and millions of uh, Sudanese forced to flee from their homes. We're also seeing that these new rulers who come to power promising security are failing to deliver that. So in, in Mali, Burkina Faso, and uh, Niger, the Islamist uh, militias, the insurgencies in those countries have actually gotten worse since the coups. There's been more violence, more deaths. Uh, so you're actually seeing worse human rights abuses, uh, no improvement in the economy, and worsening security situation by these leaders who came in uh, to power promising security. We'll be back in a moment. Mm-hmm. 
Jeff, let's take a step back here and actually look at maybe some of the history of this region, because we, we've been talking about the last few years. But can you help me understand some of the, the history of, of coups in this part of Africa? Well, um, you know, if you go back to the Cold War, coups were very much, uh, you know, proxy conflicts between the superpowers. And they were, you know, often accepted uh, by uh, Washington and Moscow. After the Cold War, there was this sort of nominal uh, policy of uh, opposing coups. There was a greater willingness to bring in sanctions. Uh, It was seen as more of a taboo for military uh, coups to take place. So, um, so this would have been sorry. This would have been in the '90s, I guess, after the Cold War. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So over the you know for about a period of about ten or twenty years after the Cold War, the '90s and the 2000s, uh, it seemed that coups were declining. They were becoming less common, uh, and it's really only been probably the last ten years, and especially the last five years, where coups have become more common again. If things were changing after the Cold War, why why was that? I guess what was what was happening to make that shift happen? Well, there was this uh, greater rhetoric about democracy um, from the West, and there were a few examples uh, where the West did somewhat push back against coups and, and seemed to trigger a chain of events that led to elections fairly fast in, in several countries, in West Africa especially. So it seemed that they were more effective, more willing to take action, more willing to impose sanctions or to use various pressure tactics against the coup leaders. Uh, we also saw uh, that uh, West African leaders were, were willing to push back. There was the case of Gambia, where the dictator tried to stay in power after very clearly losing an election, and ECOWAS sent troops in and uh, made sure that he left and that a, a elected government was uh, brought back to power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seemed that both regionally in Africa and internationally uh, in, the, in the West, there was a greater willingness to to make sure that coups were not accepted. Uh, and you know, it could also be argued that uh, Russia and China were not as big of a factor in the 90s uh, and the 2000s. They were not big players in, in Africa, especially in the 1990s. Um, this has been called a, a contagion of, of coups, Jeff. Is, is there any truth to that? Like, are military leaders maybe being inspired by coups happening in other countries nearby? Yeah, I think they are. I think they are learning lessons from other regimes. They're looking around. They're seeing that there's not much pushback from the West or from uh, the international community or from the African community uh, when they when they launch these coups. I mean, look at, uh, again, the example of Zimbabwe. Uh, it was clearly a military takeover, a military coup in 2017. I was there in the streets, the tanks, the armored vehicles, the soldiers were in the streets. And yet the African Union... Uh, refused to call it a coup. The African Union, you know, which has a policy of of not accepting coups, it just simply pretended that it was not a coup in Zimbabwe, and that allowed them to evade taking any action. Uh, mm-hmm. And even regional groups like ECOWAS seemed to accept it for a while. It was only this year, really, that ECOWAS pushed back against the latest coup in Niger uh, and threatened to uh, launch a military intervention against it. Uh, But even that has been uh, really empty rhetoric and um, uh, there's been um, just a a willingness to to, uh, resist uh, that pressure. And as a result, the ECOWAS threats seem to be very empty and military officers can look around and see that the only pushback they get are these kind of empty threats. 
I, I guess I, I just want to push on this a little bit, Jeff, because why why aren't these groups able to to hold these leaders accountable? So we're talking about ECOWAS, the African Union, uh, even even the UN, right? Like, why aren't they able to to hold the leaders of these coups to to account? Well, in the case of of the UN, it's pretty clear that the UN Security Council has vetoes by Russia and China, and they have a longstanding policy mm-hmm. now of. Uh, vetoing any action against uh, coups or or military regimes. Uh, they're willing to accept those partners, and so they make it uh, impossible for the UN Security Council to really take any action in recent years against military regimes or, or coup leaders. Uh, in the case of the African Union, uh, I mean, look at its membership. They, you know, they have an, a, a number of military regimes as members. They do occasionally kick out uh, a country f- because of a military takeover. For example, they kicked out Egypt from membership for about a year after uh, the military took over in Egypt. But a year later, they allowed Egypt to return. And I should mention another very, very important example, the Commonwealth, which is a group that is supposed to be in favor of democracy that claims to have democratic principles and human rights as principles. They have also uh, accepted a lot of these coup leaders and military regimes and undemocratic regimes. Last year, for example, the Commonwealth accepted Gabon as a member, even though it was, it was the same family that had been in power for more than 50 years. The elections had no credibility. Now, mm-hmm. this year, we're seeing the Commonwealth seriously considering uh, allowing Zimbabwe to be readmitted as a member. A number of Commonwealth leaders, including Canada, uh, are not ruling out the possibility of Zimbabwe being readmitted, despite a very clearly rigged election in August, uh, violence against op- the opposition, uh, opposition leaders being jailed, unfair election practices. So, mm. you know, military leaders look around and they see that they can, can uh, maintain this kind of international legitimacy, even if they seize power. And uh, so it, it's it's uh, just understandable that they would see that there's a uh, that they can seize power without any real resistance. So, Jeff, what role, though, do Western governments have here? Like, why aren't they taking a harsher stance against these leaders? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think a lot of it is that there's a desire for stability rather than democracy. Stability and security are seen as more important than democracy. And so a, a, a government mm-hmm. like Rwanda, which is you know completely undemocratic, basically a, a totalitarian state, uh, the, the Rwanda is seen as a partner for the West because it provides troops, it provides UN peacekeepers, it's currently uh, sending troops into northern Mozambique to stabilize a situation where there's a massive natural gas development. So Western Resource companies are very happy that Rwanda's military is stabilizing the situation in Mozambique and allowing billions of dollars of investment. And we're we're seeing uh, in West Africa, for example, there's a number of uh, Canadian mining companies in, uh, uh, especially in Mali. And uh, you know, Canada has criticized the coups in in Mali, but uh, it has not made it impossible for Canadian mining companies to operate in those countries. Uh, so we've been talking about this idea of, of contagion, right, that, you know, a coup happens in one country and it kind of encourages or emboldens military leaders in other countries to do the same. Uh, I wonder, though, are there any are there any notable countries that have missed this contagion that maybe are in the same region, but we haven't seen a, a coup take place? 
Well, yeah, there are a number of uh, rather inspiring democratic stories in across Africa. So you're absolutely right. We shouldn't generalize. Uh, it's a very, very mixed picture. We shouldn't say that uh, that every country uh, is in danger of a coup. Uh, you know, a number of them are. Clearly, there's been you know recent speculation about which country might be next. People are speculating about the Republic of Congo or Equatorial Guinea or Cameroon. These are countries with long, long ruling, long ruling dictators uh, who don't have a lot of popular support and are, have a lot of natural resources that are sort of propped up by that. But on the other side of the coin, there are a number of countries that have moved in a more democratic direction. You know, look at countries like um, Zambia, which have had very impressive rotation of power with opposition politicians winning elections. Uh, look at Nigeria, where you know, in the past, there was a history of military coups and military regimes. And yet over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, it's become increasingly democratic. We've seen um, changes of government from elections in Nigeria. So, you know, we're, we are seeing a number of examples of uh, democracy broadening in, in some countries and uh, coups are not always the path that uh, are taken in many countries. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wells. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.